the Pattern Podcast. Make left traffic clear for the option. Minneapolis departure, Archer 641, Charlie, Charlie, 2000, climbing 3000. Line up and wait, 7 range, for my Alpha. Mark Tower, 172, Romeo Hotel, hold the on the three three, ready to take off. I'm John. I'm Chris. I'm Brad. And I'm Mark. And we are the In the Pattern Podcast. Welcome to episode 48 of the In the Pattern Podcast. Uh, this is Chris. Along with me tonight, I've got Brad and John. Unfortunately, Mark is unable to uh, be with us this evening. Hope he's doing well. He had some uh, some things turn up and wasn't able to make it with us. But uh, I've got the other two Yahoo's on with us. How are you guys doing? Yahoo! Yahoo! <laughs> she calling us now. Aviation Yahoo's. That's uh, that's that's the mark of an accomplishment right there. There we go. There we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, life is good. Weather is getting nice, at least for me. Finally, uh, it's. We've had days under 100 degrees for uh, for a few days now. The, the weather is uh, fantastic, especially in the mornings and the and the evenings. You guys are probably starting to uh, maybe get some fall color action going. Might, might be a little early for that. I don't know. Mm, not for us. Uh, we're about halfway through. We'll probably be peak around this weekend or maybe in the next week. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we're, we're not so much. Um, when I came back from Florida last week, there were slight hints of a few leaves here and there that are starting to change. But we shouldn't hit, um, at least over here in the coastal area of Maryland, until probably later in the month. We still probably got about two, three weeks. So it's uh, generally end of October, early November is when we peak. Well, I'm kind of excited for it because uh, typically we don't have that much of a fall color because the summer, you know, just browns everything out uh, until you get way further up north, um, and and you got some uh, some foliage. But uh, there's so much stuff like pine trees and stuff. You know, obviously those are evergreens, so um, you got to get quite a distance away before you got trees with regular leaves that turn colors. So, but we've had so much uh, rain this year, um, set of several records, in fact, that uh, some of those. Um, plants and and trees that would normally get you know brown or whatever uh should probably be looking pretty good so i'm kind of excited for the next uh few flights coming up yeah that should be nice um hoping to get up a little bit and see some of the colors uh if we get sun anymore <laughs> we're getting into the dark time of year too so the uh we haven't switched to standard time we're still in savings time so the sun sets about 7.20 or so, and it's going to become 6.10 or something in a week. Hmm. Um, yeah, what uh, Daylight Savings Time happens uh, this month, though, October, right? It should be November. Oh, is it? I, I can't keep track. I think it's the first or second week of November is when it happens. It was pushed back a couple of years ago. It used to be in October. Oh, yeah, I thought it was always like March and October. So then it'll jump to like 5.30 because mm. we're losing what? like three minutes a day. It doesn't mean a hill of beans difference to me. We never change, so it doesn't really. That's why I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how do you know how to change your uh, replace the batteries in your smoke detectors then? <laughs> <laughs> they start chirping. <laughs> oh, well. Anyways, I don't know about you, Chris, but uh, I haven't done much since the last episode. Um, yeah, other I than... have. Uh... I've failed miserably in going out and committing much in the way of aviation, so we're going to have to rely on our, our good friend Brad to uh, keep us in the loop of what it's like to sit in the left seat of an airplane with the uh, prop turning and <laughs> get in control and manipulate everything. What's that like, Brad? Um, it, it's every bit as fun as you remember. Oh. Uh, I actually got IFR, which is, which is nice. I got actual, actual IMC, so I'm happy as could be. That doesn't sound like much fun to me. <laughs> well, it's it would certainly be exciting for you. Yes, it would. <laughs> Actually, no, that sounds awesome. I'm I'm, I'm itching for the uh, instrument rating. So, tell us a story, Brad. <laughs> tell you a story. I'll don't tell you remember. A story. Um, I did. I I did manage to uh, to hold on to my IFR currency. 
Um, I, uh, I hadn't flown to IFR since uh, doing a bunch in April. Um, and so I was feeling pretty rusty, and there was a good IFR day, and uh, I availed myself of the opportunity, and uh, but grabbed a CFII to go up, because it's a lot more relaxing when there's somebody in the right seat um, who can re- help you recover if you if you completely screwed up. Uh, so I uh, grabbed a CFII, and, and we launched out in the Arrow, and uh, I didn't have a tremendous amount of time, but I did have enough time to shoot four, uh, four approaches. So I got a VOR, an ILS, a GPS, and then another VOR with a circle to land uh, approach in in about an hour and a half total time from turning the key to start the engine to, to shutting it off. Uh, I think it was like an hour and 20 minutes I was able to get get those done at, and, and those approaches were at two different airports. Um, so that, nice. and, and the, picked up the some, instrument yeah, trifecta. Ma- yeah. And managed to pick up some actual and, and that kind of stuff, but I still only had four and I needed to get two more in a hold. Um, and so the airport is pretty close to, uh, where I'm working these days. And so over lunch I bombed out and, um, I still grabbed the CFII, even though, I probably didn't need to at this point. Uh, I was I was still instrument current, although I was ticking down to the last few days of my currency. Um, but I was feeling pretty good because I had just done four approaches a few weeks earlier. But anyway, we, we ended up grabbing the six and um, launched out and did uh, one of the same GPS approaches. Uh, I was very constrained on time because it was like over lunch. Uh, shot a GPS approach with the hold. Uh, so there's a hold, and then you actually um, you hold over the final approach fix, and then you uh, shoot the approach, the final approach from there. Um, so I got my hold, and then he had the controller had me do the published miss, which was really nice because the uh, you don't often have to do the published miss, uh, especially when you're doing practice. Um, so it did the hold to the published missed, which involved another hold um, at. Uh, a, a VOR, so I got to do a VOR hold, and then um, we flew out and did uh, the VOR, a circling VOR alpha approach. Um, VOR, uh, alpha meaning it doesn't go to a particular runway. There's no, it doesn't drop you off at the airport lined up with a runway. It just delivers you to the airport, and then you circle to whichever runway you want to land on. Um, so we uh, did the circle to land approach, and there was another aircraft in the pattern. So we broke out. I, uh, we were in actual, but there was a high ceiling. It was about a 1,900-foot ceiling. Um, we broke out, but then I continued down to the minimum uh, descent altitude, which for this was 500 feet AGL. Um, and then... We're given, we were given instructions to enter the downwind for runway six, which is one of the short crosswind runways um, at uh, my local field at Minneapolis Crystal. So we're flying the downwind at 500 feet, and there's another aircraft behind us, which was a, an instructor and a VFR student pilot, that were flying the pattern at 1,000 feet. And the controller was giving them instructions to say, hey, go check out this airplane uh, you know, find them because you're number two to land behind them. And they had no idea where we were. And I was kind of chuckling to myself because the CFI didn't either didn't hear or didn't pay attention to us coming in on, uh, on an instrument approach. So we're doing the pattern at 500 feet and circling to land back at this runway. And, uh, eventually he caught us when we were basically over the numbers, um, and, uh, just on the normal glide slope. Um, but but it was a fun fun trip. It was fun to get uh, actual IMC uh, and actually you know be in the system and and be working hard and feel reasonably competent uh, at at flying IFR again. Um, like I said, I, I just hadn't done it in quite a while. Um, and this is the time of year. Spring and fall are the times when it's really common around here to to get a lot of IFR time. Mm-hmm. So that was good. 
Um, the other, another flight that I managed to pull off was to get night current. I was, I was out of night currency and we're getting lots and lots and lots of night. So it would be nice to be able to fly <laughs> passengers. You're getting an abundance of night lately. <clears throat> Great amounts of night. Yeah. We're, we're getting to the, you know, end of December, we we get like eight and a half or eight and three quarter hours of daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to be night current. Uh, and so I, I went went back to the field the same day and grabbed the Warrior because it was available and headed out again to the crosswind runway. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I don't do a lot of pattern work. I, I rarely go out and just practice landings, takeoffs and landings in the pattern. And I, I got to be honest, it's same for me. Yeah, it, it just isn't isn't what I do. I'm generally, it's not hard for me to stay current usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes my pattern work as a result of that is pretty sketchy. Uh, but this particular night, I was just dialed in, um, you know, even though I almost never fly the Warrior. Um, and uh, I was working the crosswind runway, 2200 foot runway. Um, I had no issues at all. I was well ahead of the airplane the entire time. I had really nice landings. I had really nice takeoffs. Uh, the whole thing worked really well, and I was pleasantly surprised by the fact. Uh, it, I had the whole pattern, I had the whole airport to myself. Uh, it was just me and the tower controller, but it was still, it, it felt pretty good to, to be able to, to do pattern work, and do pattern work really quite well. You know, nice put, work. The, put the plane where I wanted and all that's good stuff. Go ahead. I was going to say 2,200-foot runway. I'm not sure I've ever landed on one of those in the day. <laughs> well, we don't have the density altitude problems that you guys do. Um, just, like, just like every airport in the valley, at least, has a minimum of probably 5,000 to 8,000 on average, it seems like. I'd have to get pretty f- I'd have to get a little ways away to get to a lot smaller airports to find something like that, which uh, now makes me um, interested to see what I could, what I, where I'd have to go to find something that small. Yeah, poke around. It it's really you know twenty two hundred isn't bad. Our our big runways using quotation fingers are thirty three hundred feet. Those are the main runways that we have, um, and our crosswind. We have two crosswind runways, one's paved and one's grass, and they're both basically 2,200 feet. Um, and I've landed at, I think the shortest runway I've landed is 2,000. Uh, and I did that in the arrow, and it was it was cozy, but the, you know, the, the Cherokees are very landable airplanes if you don't come in hot. Um, you, you know, you can get it... You can get them down in six, seven hundred feet uh, if you have to, uh, and a thousand's pretty comfortable. Mm, um, yeah, I think I think that night when I was doing the night landings in the Warrior, I was doing I was using about eight hundred feet, and in the six earlier in the day, I used about. I wasn't even I wasn't trying for short, uh, a short field approach, and so I used probably, I don't know, twelve hundred or something. Um, but the six, you can land it very in a very short distance. I just wasn't trying. I was busy getting my head back out of IFR mode and into, you know, getting the plane on the ground and land it and put away mode. Well, it sounds like a good time for sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I have to go see. I'm going to have to go look around and see uh, where some of the shorter airstrips are around. Uh, just to practice... Uh, going into something that you don't have quite as much wiggle room as you're used to. It's a good, it's a good, uh, you know, just something to practice, I suppose. Right. Yeah. The, the airport where I got my private is a 3,500 foot by 200 foot grass runway, but it has a 2,400 foot by 1,500 foot paved section. And so I was always trying to get it just on the paved section with, uh, and use half of the pavement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was that was the challenging part, yeah. Uh, to to do that, and and it, it you know it's very doable. Twenty four feet is wider than you think, um, and it, you know the it, it's mm. it's a very doable thing even with some crosswind, uh, and yeah. it, it you know you can really dial in your skills. And there was you know an extra two thousand feet of grass off the end of the paved part, so there was oh. no downside to running long. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> It was just it was just uh, 
damage to your ego. Yeah, better than offense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I was supposed to take the Mooney down to visit my folks in Arkansas in another two weeks, and that's not going to happen. Um, so a year ago, we got the Mooney, uh, just about a year ago at this time, almost a, a year to the day, and uh, at the at, close to the end of the year was its annual, and right before its annual, somebody had a prop strike, and either didn't realize it or didn't admit it, <laughs> and they took the plane in for annual with one prop blade an inch or two shorter than the other one, and somehow the person flying the plane over to the maintenance shop didn't check the prop very well uh, during the pre-flight and they didn't notice it and it was Nor the, noticed yeah the extra was, vibration no yeah it was the IA who actually said um you know that one of your prop blades is like an inch or two shorter than the other one and really jagged on the end of it wow um so of course we had to do tear down and all that good stuff and in the beginning of this year towards the beginning of this year uh we had a runway overrun we had somebody who who got it on the pavement on our 3300 foot runway and ran it off the other end uh just into the grass and then got it stopped and back in and and the plane was fine there was nothing wrong with it um uh but then uh 3 or so weeks ago we had someone bringing it in and uh, encountered some deer on the runway, apparently at the last second, pulled up to go over the deer, and then porpoised it in and had another prop strike. Oh. And so the engine is basically at TBO anyway. So oh, that's the right time to have it. Yeah, well, <laughs> we the prop is completely pretzeled. Oh, um, yeah. So that was spendy. Um, but the engine teardown, we're going to just... Be, do an engine replacement uh, in instead, mm -hmm. and send that one in, uh, trade it in for for a new engine. So, uh, it, nonetheless, I will not be flying. That was the airplane I had checked out, and I will not be uh, taking it to to Arkansas because it will not have an engine attached to it. In fact, it doesn't have an engine attached to it right now. Yeah, that's gonna make hard for rotation speed. Yeah, hey, you know the it's a it's a great airplane, but you really have to be at seventy one knots on final. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there, yeah. you know when when you're coming over the fence, if you're not at seventy one knots, you're gonna run out of runway, you know. And uh, if you encounter deer and need to pull back on the stick, you better firewall the throttle and get the heck out of there because. <laughs> um, you know, it's just not a forgiving airplane. Um, you know, the the Cherokees are very easy to land. The six is a little harder because the wing loading is so much heavier. Um, the, I have a tendency to thump the six on or land it a little bit flat. <laughs> the the Mooney just if you don't have your speed down, it's gonna do. It's gonna beat you up. Um, it's going to beat you up, hmm. and. Uh, hopefully our insurance rates don't take too bad a hit. Yeah, really. Well, so so the insurance is going to take care of the engine and the prop, though, aren't they? Yes, the insurance yeah. will take care of the engine and the prop. And I, there was no other damage to the aircraft. The, you know, the gear was out and, and everything else was fine. Cool. Um, but um, yeah, well, at at TBO, that's the that's the prime time to if that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. I mean, it, if you it's think it's not about so good it, for me, but because you're talking about, yeah, right, an engine and a prop is going to be twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars somewhere along the lines, right? So, yeah, unless you do, I don't know, I don't know what an overhaul is, but if you're going to do a replacement, it's got to be somewhere in that neighborhood. I'm guessing, it might be even more than that, right? I think the teardown, the teardown and inspection is somewhere between eight and ten grand. Mm-hmm. I'll ask actually and find out find out mm. what the actual cost of a teardown is because they they don't have to replace anything they don't have to do basically they need to get to the point where they can see the crankshaft and make yeah. sure it's okay. Mm -hmm. um, that's the deal with the teardown. But yeah, and I think they look for uh, look for metal and stuff like that, metal shavings and whatnot. Yeah, 
Yeah, but they put all but they put all the same parts back. Assuming yeah, yeah, you don't end up with any new extra parts. It's just a visual inspection type of deal. I remember when they did that in the Archer when uh, someone decided to prop strike that uh, that uh, orange cone that was in front of the prop before mm-hmm. they decided not to move it and just drive right through it. So uh, literally no damage whatsoever, but it's a prop strike, so it's required to be have that same situation. Yeah, to tear down an inspection. Yep. So uh, the flight's just off, not going to use a different plane or anything like that? No, there wasn't another plane available that would have gotten me there within two hours of the time that I could have gotten there in the movie. And yeah. So it's just not going to happen this time. But sure, sure it's nice to have the, the legs and uh, and the speed of a Mooney for those cross-country flights. Right, exactly right. I suppose the, the six, is it, but it's got to be way spendier. The six is is a little more expensive per hour than the Mooney, um, th- uh, because of the fuel burn. Yeah. Um, the the maintenance cost on the six is lower mm. than the Mooney because it's got fixed gear. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, I think the engine TBO is a little bit longer, so it's it just costs us a little bit less to run it. Yeah. Um, but the, it's closer to the Arrow in terms of speed. It's a little faster than the Arrow. It's 135 knots true. Oh okay, yeah. And you're doing like 150 something. In the well, in the, in the Mooney, um, I plan it at 160. Nice. Yeah. Yep. So I could have taken an Archer, but it would have been a long, long time. Yeah. To get a little there. longer. <laughs> so and it would have been and it's two tanks of gas and it's mm-hmm. which makes it even longer. And yeah. So. Oh, bummer. Well, hopefully they get uh, Humpty Dumpty put back together again soon for you so you can get it back up. And then you got like 25 hours or so that they got to do um, with that probably a break-in period on that new engine. Right. We'll go through the engine break-in pr- procedure again, um, which isn't a big deal on an IO360. Um, and then I've done it. I've, I've gone through it on the archers as they've had their engines replaced and it's not really a big big thing that's cool uh, um and uh and yeah that'll be it cool. so i'm thinking about getting doing a, a universal pilot checkout because um, ah. uh heading out to la over the holidays and it would be fun to just take part of an afternoon and go go fly around when are you going to be there uh between Christmas and New Year's. Oh, okay. Shoot, I'm going to be down there um, for Thanksgiving. Ah, yeah, a little later in the season for us. Okay. Um, but uh, since I'm going to be there, and since it it sounds like an interesting place to fly, I, I'm considering doing a UPC. Although, are the U, the UPCs are by type, right? Yeah. So if I do a UPC, it had better be in the same type of airplane I'm looking at flying on the other end. Yeah, so you want to check the other end first and see what's available in the area that you're going and then find something local, right? With the right. same kind and of there's plane. Only, there's two and there's two open airplane places in Minnesota. One of them is here in the Twin Cities. It's it's 10 miles from my house and the other one is 160 miles north of here. <laughs> oh. Well, 172 should be pretty universal and easy to find for you. I'm not sure if the FBO that does it has a 172. <laughs> That's they surprising. Have a one, they have a 152, and they've got some other stuff, but I'll I'll check and yeah. see what they have. Well, I think cool. they have a Sundowner or something like that. Oh. So. That's an interesting plane to rent. <laughs> yeah, I I've flew I've it a few times before I joined my club, and... It's a fine plane. I mean, it, it's very flyable. It's a pretty easy plane to work with. Back when Beach was trying to, to do the whole, hey, we're going to have a path, you know, you start in a sundowner and kind of work your way up to a Bonanza or a Baron or, mm-hmm. you know, up to the higher higher end, higher performance stuff that they have. But yeah, uh, it just didn't catch on. So the, it's there are some out there still, but not, not a lot. Right, right. They have pretty good performance for uh, for what they are too, I think. Yeah, you know, it, it it is very comparable to an Archer. I think it's within a knot or two of the same speed as an Archer, and it's the same engine. Mm. 
it's all good. Yeah. Well, I so haven't. Do you, uh, do you have anything that? coming up? Do you have anything coming up? Well, you know, I was telling John off uh, off mic before we started here is like, you know, I just been kind of saving up my money, um, like uh, with the expectations of getting in the getting in the Mooney and knowing that the Mooney is going to cost me more to fly and. I got to get checked. I got to get 25 hours in it before I can even solo. So I've been just kind of holding off and saving my money. I mean, I could have been flying the 172, but I just been holding off. But I'm so itchy to do it now. I'm just, I just gonna go, you know, maybe go get night current or I don't know. It's, it's, it. The temperature is so nice in the mornings now that you know, regular flying on the weekends during the day isn't so bad. So I, I just got to go do it now. Um, it's just something I just been putting off for the only reason of. You know, wanting to fly something faster that I, that I know it's going to take me some time, so I was just kind of saving some money. And I asked uh, the instructor um, the other day, I was like, "Hey, when we get ready to uh, get me checked out in the Mooney after a couple of flights, just to get orientated with the airplane, can we switch right into um, kind of a dual purpose thing and just start getting my instrument rating while we're working on that? We can kind of kill two birds with one stone." And he's like, "Yeah, heck yeah, we can do that." Yeah, that's so, the way to do it is to double that stuff up because 25 hours of takeoffs and landings is just, yeah, you know, it's superfluous. Exactly. So you'll get your complex then, right, too? I'll, uh, yeah, trip and, three things and, at the one time. At the yeah, and time. your high performance, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah, so kind of so knock you, all yeah, that You'll out. definitely be busy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you'll have 10 hours of just learning all of the... Systems, you know, and, all of the systems, yeah. and and how to do the emergency gear extension, and how to do the all the complex stuff, how to work the prop, and how to do the cowl flaps, and oh my gosh, mm-hmm. and then the getting used to the high performance stuff. So you'll use a good chunk of that twenty five hours doing takeoffs and landings, but no reason you can't use some of the other time to to do yeah. IFR ish stuff. Mm-hmm. Might as well. So. I'm I'm excited for that, and it's getting really close. Um, it's it's about out of the shop at this point. Um, and uh, man, Franz is, uh, has has uh, spent a pretty penny on on making it look nice. All new leather seats. Um, you got the uh, glare shield recovered in leather. Um, you got the yokes, of course, covered in leather. He's got new carpeting uh, being put in. Um, He's got a new uh, four-place intercom system that's yet to be put in. Um, of course, it's got the new cylinder on it and stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, just in that waiting does, game. Does he hanger it, or is it? How do? Yeah. Where does he keep it? Well, <clears throat> yeah, it's been hangered the whole time. Um, of course, it's it, the same place where I we rent that 172 from that we typically fly in mm-hmm. is is where it's been hangered and torn apart. Um, the, the guy that owns it has three sons, uh, two of which are in the maintenance side of it. And the other one is the CFII who is flying in, uh, Alaska, flying, um, the, um, uh, caravans doing, um, well, actually he's doing both, uh, um, carrying people and, and, uh, cargo at this point. But, uh, so when he's not, in Alaska, he's back here, and uh, which is like every other work, other, every other week he's back here. So, so his sons, his sons, and plus um, um, the pilot, uh, the CFWI himself, uh, Lucas, has been working on the plane. He's also uh, has his um, has his uh, what do you call it? Not your AI, but um, IA, ANP, His ANP, yeah. So um, they've been doing the work on the plane, and the nice thing about it is, is that the engine that's on that the, the TSIO 360 is a six-cylinder version um, of the IO 360. It's a six-cylinder version plus a turbo, right? Well, that's the exact same engines that are on their um, uh, Seneca twos, and they have two of them. So right. they they are so familiar with that engine that they have an extra one, you know, sitting in there. They're they know them backwards and forwards, so it's good to have someone with that kind of knowledge. You know, replacing jugs on your on your own or your on your own plane. So, right, and then those are the weird ones that are they're two hundred horsepower engines, but you can take them to two ten over a certain altitude. 
blah blah well, blah. I think it has to do it, it, it's um on on at takeoff power it puts you at that RP, it puts you at that horsepower. Is that what it is? I can't, the, I can't remember. Yeah, and then like when you throttle it back and you're at like 75% or whatever, you know, definitely not there, but uh yeah, that when you're at that takeoff power and that turbo spools up it puts you at that 210 mark, maybe slightly over, but but yeah. Mhm. So, but yeah, like I said, it's, I've just been really itching to fly, and I don't know if I can wait uh, uh, any longer. i got to go at least get one or two more flights in here pretty soon and take advantage of the nice weather. And and um, so the only kind of – what's that? Now, you have to cool those, right? You have to cool the, the turbocharger when you land. After you've, after you've landed, you have to idle the engine for five or ten minutes to let the oil cool the – the turbocharger and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, you, I think you do. I don't think it's quite that long, but uh, I think you do have to uh, leave it running for a little bit. That's what a, a turbine engine does too. You know, like a jet engine after they shut it or after you, you know, bring it in, it's got to stay running to cool down first or something. Yeah, and and in the case of a turbocharger, it's because the the oil. Um, in the turbocharger, my understanding at least is that the oil in the turbocharger will get too hot and will burn and essentially mm. it'll coke and oh, turn yeah. into tar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you have to keep the engine running just to move oil through the turbocharger as it cools it. Uh, and then um, then you can shut down. That, that totally makes sense. As I, uh, as I start off with this and get more knowledge, I'll report back with uh, exactly what this process is and the reasons why, but that totally sounds right to me. Fun, fun, fun. Mm-hmm. So you get, to, you get to pay to have it sitting on the ground going nowhere while you sit in the hot airplane. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like a blast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's okay. I just got you know instrument current for when I won't be able to fly instruments hardly at all for the next six months. <laughs> Because of the too much ice in the clouds, so yeah, yay me. Um, the does the does the Cherokee three hundred does it have uh, de-ice boots? The Comanche. I thought or the you, is there a Columbia three hundred? There, I don't know of a Cherokee three hundred. The oh, what am I? Th- no, I'm I'm sorry, I'm thinking the six. The six. Sorry. Um, no, the six has no boots. They do or did make some Saratogas with either they made them with boots or you could get an aftermarket system to put boots on it. Um, but it was not certified. It wasn't mm. Fiki. So you could use it to help get out of a jam, but you weren't allowed to fly with it on there. Okay. Um, the Seneca two, I think was the first, I think was the first Piper airplane that had, a Fiki certification. I think the reason why I said 300 is because the Cherokee sixes typically have that 300 horse engine in them. Yeah, sadly not ours. Ours yeah, is a two, 265. 260. Okay. Um, yeah, the the Mooney's got uh, uh, prop de-ice um, boots on it, and now I can't remember. So off those the... would be those would be heaters, though, not boots. Yeah, not boots. Yeah, the heaters. They're rubber, so they look like boots. Yeah, they do. The whole the whole system, how that works, is really interesting. Because um, I've seen it with the cowling off, and and how I was like, how does this work? How does this electricity or whatever go in there to heat up coils or whatever it is? And so Lucas showed me how it all works, and it's 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 really interesting the mechanics of it. Yeah, it's got to be exotic, but I guess if they've solved the problem of pumping oil out to the props to turn them, they can probably figure out how to put electricity out there too yeah it kind of reminds me of you know how like um like a bmx bike you can take and and flip the uh handlebars completely around without the brake lines being bound up right you know what i'm talking about yep yep yeah. they use a collar and stuff like that yeah there's something like that that goes on there and there's this uh there's these magnesium um um pads that touch this rotor disc that moves around and that's what keeps the contact. That makes sense. Brushes or something would exactly do it. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy system. Mm 
Uh, don't get ice on that wing, though. Not that you guys would have a problem with it. Although, <laughs> well, I don't know. You fly it high enough. You can fly that thing high enough that you would have a problem with it. But we we don't have to go too too. You know, if we're if we fly for forty five minutes north uh, in the winter time from here, we're definitely in in that icing area. Yeah, stay clear, man. Yeah, on a Mooney, on a Mooney, that stuff is no good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It won't take much. Yeah, and and a tailplane stall or not being able to see out the front window, those are all bad days. Or having the gear tucked neatly in the wells while you're trying to land. <laughs> um, the one that always surprises me is that the stall indicator get just freezes solid. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah, don't don't listen for that. So it's const- it, So it's just it freezes in a position that's on. So it's just howling at you. No, it freezes off. Oh, okay. So the See, ice just piles up on it, so it won't move. Right, right. So when you're when you're coming into land and you you got that nose up attitude, waiting for that stall horn, and it's not coming, and it's not coming. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, I shouldn't have been relying on that in flight to keep me out of trouble. Yeah, right. <laughs> Good point. Well, speaking of weather, I uh, I got my uh, my first little bit of wings credits the other day. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah, you got flying credits or ground credits. Um. I don't know the difference, I guess. Well, no there's ground. two portions. Yeah, there's you can take the, the class, which is a ground credit, and then there's flying that you can do with a CFI, which oh, counts yeah. against your BFR. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was one of those uh, AOPA uh, fast you know, seminars they put on. Oh, and, we had uh, one of those at the club. Okay. This one was for real-world weather. and uh, Ah, we had the same one. Yeah. <laughs> So I just, uh, Franz and I just went out to uh, Mesa on Monday and, and went through that. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting how um, like 98% of the crowd was like at least 20 years older than each one of us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Whenever you go to, I've been to a lot of safety seminars and I'm usually not the youngest person there, but I'm certainly in the lower lowest quartile. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like, holy cow, there are guys in there where it's like, Oh my gosh! I really hope I'm flying when you're, I'm your age. <laughs> yeah. Like, I I hope I'm still warm when I'm your age. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's pretty good. Uh, quite informative. The um, the presenter was uh, was really good. Not dry. Uh, kept it enter- entertaining, and um, you know, people were were um, piping up and uh, and commenting and stuff and answering his questions and so forth. So I I thought it was pretty good. Done well. Yeah, same here. We had, uh, like I said, the same presentation. Might have even been the same guy. It might be. Um, and uh, from AOPA, and he did a he did a really wonderful job. We had about a hundred. We had over a hundred people show up at our hangar uh, for this nice. seminar. It was it was a great turnout, and uh, yeah, very enthusiastic, um, very sharp guy. Um, did he did he keep asking the crowd how many of you are safe pilots? No. Okay, so probably a different guy. That I was this so. guy's line. <laughs> How many safe pilots do we have out there? You know, and, and at the end, everybody was he. He gave us all religion. You know, at the, by the end of it, everybody was raising their hands, like, "Yeah, I'm going to be a safe pilot because I don't want to end up like that guy." Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it must have been a different guy. And then you got the Bruce Landsberg uh, videos that go along with that, right? Yeah, that, that I think. I think the material, the deck is probably the same. Yeah. Well, I uh, look forward to maybe going to a few more of those and knock out at least the uh, ground per- ground portion of my next uh, uh, BFR by going that route. Right, right. And then if you fly with a Wings CFI, um, there are there are activities that you can do that will count towards your BFR. Like and a barrel are- roll? Yeah, not so much. But um, only if he's aerobatic. I, I do believe that for the advanced one, the advanced wings rating, there are things like you know spins and stuff like that. But uh, they'll do have you do ground reference maneuvers and and all kinds of just sort of normal BFR-ish kinds of things. Um, and uh, the uh, the safety seminars count for the ground portion of your BFR, and then the flying with a CFI, a wings certified CFI, counts for the for the air portion. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, uh, you can check all that stuff on the FAA wings 
website. Yeah. But I yeah, I haven't had too many I, I used to do a ton and I kind of attended all of them and now I'm I go and I'm like, okay, I still I remember this slide from the last time. <laughs> so I don't go to as many anymore, but when I find some interesting ones I do I do try to run off and and catch them. That's cool. Yeah, this one was all the way out in Mesa, so it was a good hour drive for us. But uh, uh, I think I'll look. I know there's some over it, usually over by uh, Deer Valley Airport, in fact. So I'll have to look for some more uh, that's uh, coming to that, that area instead because it's a 20-minute drive instead of an hour. <laughs> yeah, and the website, the FAA Wings website, can email you when there's going to be a safety seminar near you. Yeah, I get those. I do get those. So, for the benefit of both of our listeners, um, you can uh, you can get your you can find your FAA uh, wings seminars that way, and you don't have to go for wings credit. I I've never done uh, the wings BFR replacement, but I did find the safety seminars to be really, you know, I I, I gained a lot of knowledge from them, and yeah. and like I said, I still go once in a while. So you'll definitely uh, pull out a few good nuggets that uh, you probably hadn't heard before, hadn't thought of, so. Yeah, and you can also meet some really interesting people. Yeah. You are surrounded by pilots. So um yeah, after after the break and he's like, Okay, let's get started and all these pilots are up talking, telling their war stories and stuff. He starts playing that uh Super Bowl video with the uh, the cowboys that are herding cats. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any references he goes, this always happens after a break, trying to get everybody settled back down in their seats, kind of like herding cats. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, John, I know uh, you suck like I suck as far as flying lately. Anything else to uh, offer to our listeners? Uh, well, you know, I'm I'm kind of in your boat where I was holding out for a little while trying to do that Cherokee checkout, and just, it's, it's not going to happen yet, so... Uh, gonna try to go up and hit some fall colors later in the month hopefully get my grandmother to come up with me and um get her off the list so uh hopefully next uh, maybe not next episode maybe the episode after that i'll finally have something so there you go life gets in the way doesn't it i know sort of vacations and, <laughs> and like i said uh, in the pre-show you know i guess uh, you, you i i flown just in a human mailing tube yes <laughs> You went to Disney World, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. So, all right, uh, nice two-hour flight that I can't log. <laughs> right. Well, but did you see the thing? And was it one of the horrible websites about what to do if you're if both of the pilots become sick and you have to step up and land the airliner? No, I didn't see that, but. On... It was it was every bit as bad as the Ehow article oh, the, about how to land a one eighty two, how to fly how to fly a one eighty two, <laughs> where like step three or four in the process was get your pilot's license. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've checked that off the list, so I guess we're a little further, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I, I was uh, Tom Cruise. I said uh, on the on the way back, I think there were two. Um, we we were hitting all the um, commuters. Um, so we had two other Southwest pilots on our flight. So I was like, well, thing happens. I said, there's two people who are typerated in this airplane. So I'm screwed. <laughs> so much for have the fish. Yeah. So much for that. Have the yeah. fish. All of you, all four. All there you go. You the fish. I'm going to eat this sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but it's Southwest. So they, you can't even have the fish. Yeah. yeah true. <laughs> you can't have nothing. Oh, you get you get have peanuts. The, have the peanuts. Yeah, yeah. peanut. You you get a drink, peanuts, and uh, the pretzels. Yep. Yeah. Hey, um, Brad. Speaking of Mooney, did you see uh, Mooney's booked like thirty million dollars in orders now? Wow. No, I hadn't seen that. Nice comeback. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Well, hopefully it uh, it. Uh, keeps taking off uh that's awesome it'll be cool to see some brand new mooney sitting in the uh, sitting on the ramp and in the sky yeah brand new just about anything is uh pretty hard to come by these days Mm mm-hmm yeah you remember um 
you weren't on on yeah you weren't on the last podcast but john you remember i was talking about um about the whole rideshare deal and what a crock that was with the faa yes so I there's like this follow up article I was uh, reading on on flying mag, on flying dot com, and they're literally talking. I mean, it, it comes down to there's no more someone can offer you their pro rata share is what they're talking about. It 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 they're they're actually like overturning their own definition of of what that is. And if you accept any monies from someone who's riding in a plane with you, um. No matter what percentage it is, you'd have to be a commercial pilot, is what they're saying. I'd have to see that article. I haven't seen anything to that effect. Um, I do know that there are... I'll send it to you real quick. There are some unfortunate restrictions with... If you're going to expense the flight... Yeah. Um, it's They've been around for a long time, but almost no one either A, knows about them, or B cares about them um, but if you like let's say I want to fly somewhere on business and it's just me in the plane I can expense it <clears throat> no problem but if I fly somewhere and take you and you and I are going for the same reason let's say you and I work for the same company or you work for a client of mine or whatever mm -hmm. I cannot expense that flight hmm. but if the company owns the airplane then I can conduct the flight under Part 91, you know, without any running in any commercial hassles, and I don't have to pay a dime to anybody. Um, oh. There's there are some really odd restrictions that that came about from a ruling, a letter of clarification that was written on behalf of somebody who wrote in and asked, "Hey, is this legal?" And the FAA said, "Why no, it's not." And everybody since then has said. Don't anybody write the FAA and ask if something is legal. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's just a just bad idea. Stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I'm in that little article I, I sent you, like on the fifth paragraph, it says, by overturning its own definition of compensation to include someone chipping in their share of gas on a flight the pilot was already going to make anyway. The FAA has turned every pilot taking advantage of the expense share provision of 14 CFR 61.113 into a commercial operator. A pilot cannot now take advantage of the exceptions listed in 61.113 and avoid the obligation to hold a commercial operating certificate under Part 119. He must choose one or the other or risk enforcement action by the agency. In short, the FAA has created an entirely new form of catch-22 for private pilots. Thank you. I see. I don't. I don't agree with what flight. I don't agree with Flying Magazine's conclusion on that. I think the sticking point that the FAA had was if you're holding out, basically, if you're saying, "Hey, to the world, hey, I am going to fly for." In my case, let's say I'm going to fly to Chicago. If anybody wants to come along, go ahead. And just pay me your share, mm -hmm. and that is not legal, and it has never been legal. Um, I mean, not never, but I mean, it hasn't been legal for forty years, at least. Um, it, you you cannot advertise yourself as to the public, to the general public, as providing a flight uh, and receive any compensation for it at all. So the but, issue you're saying comes down to putting a notice out that it's available. Right, and they the FAA parlance is holding out. Right, which is it, yeah. If you happen if it's to you be, and a buddy, and you it, and you happen to arrange it, fine. Okay, you know, you, you have nobody be, cares. Have, having a beverage with some friends, and you, it comes up in conversation. You're going to take a flight down to Chicago. One you're going to wait eight hours. Like, hey, I'd like to go. That's fine. Right, right, mm -hmm. and and the the thing that I agree with the FAA on is the the general public has no way to assess your that you aren't an airline or that you're not a commercial operator or that you're not you know they don't know what your skill is they don't they have no way to assess that right you're you now your buddy somebody that you have a relationship with if you're a responsible human being you're going to you know explain the situation and the risks and all that kind of stuff to them whereas somebody off the street that you don't know you probably aren't going to make that investment 
to them because there's a definite downside that they might say, well, forget it. I'm not going to fly with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can totally understand the spirit behind the ruling. Um, you know, while at the same time I disagree about the whole, if I fly with you, somebody that I know on a business trip, I can't expense it. I don't agree with that at all, but this particular bit, you know, which is really blurring the lines between a public and a commercial or a private and a commercial operation. Um, I, I don't have much of an issue with it. Um, it's just not you just can't say that a private pilot flying a non certified, you know, aircraft, uh, is going to operate at the same level of, uh, of safety. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the airplane doesn't undergo as rigorous, uh, a thing because it doesn't have a commercial certificate. It doesn't have to undergo the same maintenance. The pilot doesn't have to undergo the same training and level of competency and checkouts and all that kind of stuff that a, that a 135 or a 121 operator has to. So, you know, yeah, I, from a <laughs> keeping the public, you know, from out of harm's way, fine. Mm-hmm. But well, that's about as far as I go. Hopefully that's the, the, the intent behind the whole thing. And uh, you may be right. It may be exactly right. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not an expert. I haven't read the ruling in great detail. I, I've read summaries uh, of it and looked at what other people who are a lot more competent than I uh, have have summarized the statement. And it, it seems like the FAA, what the FAA did to me seemed pretty reasonable. Um, you know, and I'm not the biggest FAA basher, but I'm also not the biggest, I don't agree with everything that the FAA does. <laughs> um, You're in you know, good some company. Of the, yeah, some of the stuff is ridiculous and some of it is, you know, pretty darn reasonable. And I, I think the whole... Um, thing, the whole thing that they did, the the letter of clarification that they gave was was not unexpected. Uh, I do wonder what that means for things like the EAA rideshare board. You know, where you can go and say, "Hey, I'm going to go into Oshkosh from Chicago. Anybody going up?" Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That I think that's one of the things we brought up last time because there's there's plenty of those for for. Uh the different air, the major air shows. So, yeah, I, I can't see how the, those are legitimate if things like these ride sharing services are not, but yeah. Oh, well, hmm. but they did legalize drone or start issuing drone permits for, for filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that the, um, the, um, major film companies have had, um, uh, a great success in, in being able to do that lately. So, so there mm-hmm. progress. <laughs> well, I, I, I found, I found an airport with a, uh, 3,800 foot runway. I'm getting closer. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, it's probably just got to do with your density altitude and just straight up base altitude in the first place. <laughs> As, as much as anything, you know, look for someplace low and cold and you'll probably <laughs> find something shorter. There you go. Uh, you must uh, have some short runways out by you, John. You're at sea level practically. Yeah, there's a few. Um, I know there's one that's 1,800 that I've landed at. See, there you go. So um, yeah, most of them are 25, 3,000. You know, not too bad. There, there seems to be some private ones, but uh, again, there's a problem. <laughs> a lot of them you can just call in. Yeah. Um, if you just call them, they're like, "Yeah, fine, come on in." You know, they just don't want any anybody coming in. But most of them, you know, if you call and ask, they'll. There's a reason that they got their that they got their airport put on the chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, that's true. Would, you have to go through some effort to get it on the chart. I mean, there's a ton of, of paved private airports around here. I mean, I've, I've looked at at least like 20 on this sheet. Oh. Yeah, we don't have much, but we do have a few. We have a lot of private... Um, I don't know how this works, by the way. Private seaplane bases. Nice. Is that your backyard no when you live on a lake? Th- 
there's no such thing as a private lake in Minnesota. They're all public. <laughs> so I don't know how you can have a private seaplane base unless it's just the dock, you know, um, that is private. Well, all right, fine. <laughs> well, I, uh, I think that covers this episode. What do you guys say? I kind of agree with that. Ship it. There you go. Who's got any shout-outs? I have. All right. But if you want to go ahead, Chris, you can. Well, okay, okay, real quick. Uh, I have a quick shout-out to my uh, just my uh, my old instructor, Jackie. Um, I heard she had um, had a, uh, a heart attack, and so she's going to be out of the flying game for a while. And we just, uh, you know, hope that uh, she uh, recovers nicely and gets to be able to get back in the air after uh, after a, after a clean medical. Yeah, it, it, me too. Um, I have a friend who uh, is a Delta captain, and he had a quintuple bypass, and he got his class one medical back. So nice. It's it's possible. Great. Yeah, that's good. Uh, my shout-out is to the controllers at Farmington uh, at running the... Minneapolis Center uh, ZMP RTCC facility, uh, as well as the folks in Indianapolis, and, or rather, I think it's Indianapolis, and Kansas City um, for helping out with the closure of the Chicago uh, Center control, uh, controllers, um, the big fire at the Chicago Center facility, and um, the FAA does do a lot of disaster recovery planning, and uh, even though they were closed down for a little while, they reassigned all of the Chicago Center uh, sectors out to the surrounding facilities, and uh, the controllers in Minneapolis and Kansas City and Indianapolis have been uh, uh, picking up all of the traffic going in and out of O'Hare and um, that whole central part of the United States. Um, and uh, it seems to be working pretty seamlessly. You know, they were able to transfer all the control out from uh, from that facility and get all the radar and everything out to the other facilities and get everything back up and running uh, pretty quickly. So big shout-out to those folks for uh, for really running a lot of extra shifts uh, and uh, making making it work, make, keeping, the, keeping the system running. Nice. Yeah, I can't imagine the logistics there easy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I know, you know, most of the government has all that, uh, I forget what there's a, there's a term government term for it, but <laughs> yeah, the redundancy is built into the design of the systems. It, it's just amazing that it works. I mean, you think about the human aspect of it, cause I don't think that they physically moved the Chicago center controllers to these other facilities. Um, but they always built them with the idea that they could lose an entire facility and, uh, shift control over to other facilities and they could lose one whole center of the, I think there are 22, either 12 or 22 centers and they could lose one whole one without really affecting the system much at all. Mm. And it's really interesting to see it actually work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That said, I'm glad I wasn't on the ground in Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Um, although I guess you could get out VFR. It was just IFR that was affected. Oh, yeah. They they were grounded for a day or two, and uh, they got everything shifted over and everything was up and running, and I think they learned a lot. Yeah, yeah no doubt. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Chris, where can we find you online? Sure. You can uh, shoot me an email at chris at inthepatternpodcast.com or on the... Uh, Twitterverse at Cholabaz, uh, C H O L U B A Z. Uh, that's the same name you can use for YouTube videos or find us on uh, the Facebook. Cool. And Brad, how about you? You can reach me at Brad at InThePatternPodcast.com, on Twitter at Brad Kane. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and on Diaspora at uh, bkane at diaspora.kane.com. And for both of our listeners who know this all too well, my last name, Kane, is spelled Kilo Oscar Echo Hotel November. 
Awesome. And for me, you can find me at John at in the pattern podcast.com. I'm on Twitter, app.net, pretty much everything else at pilot Conway. Um, for the entire podcast, you can reach all of us at podcast at in the pattern podcast.com. We're also on Twitter as in the pattern, or you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash in the pattern podcast. Uh, show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found on our new website at in the pattern podcast.com. Uh, please send us uh, any suggestions, comments, or critiques. Uh, we'd love to get any feedback. And uh, if you could go ahead and just leave a iTunes comment um, on the podcast feed, that'll help others uh, yeah, see the see the podcast and, and um, listen to it as well um, if you like it. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up episode 48 of the In the Pattern podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening. And remember, make left traffic. You're cleared for the option. and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com.